Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Crossing today. So glad that you made this part of your weekend together. I'd also like to welcome all those who are joining us. Let me just look in the camera, welcome our microsites. We have new microsites in Simi Valley in New York. All those who are catching us online and our Southeast campus, can we just welcome them? Glad you're part of the Crossing family with us. So, Aaron, come on out here. Um, we started the Southeast Campus about two and a half years ago, and Aaron Hoffman, who led worship with us today, is, is actually the lead pastor of the Crossing Southeast and has done a fantastic job out there. And so we just want to bring him over because I actually have a cool announcement today that we have a new name and a new location for the Southeast Campus. But I'm not telling you yet, so don't get too excited. I'll tell you later on the service. But, you know, we're excited not only what, what God's doing there, but just the impact that Aaron, his team, the volunteers are having. And as we move to a, a new location, so would you just pray for him and pray for all that God is doing. So let's just give him a big hand. Well, we're in week four of this series that we're calling Creatures of Habit. Now, all of us are creatures of habit. You are either a creature of good habits or you are a creature of bad habits, but we are all creatures of habit. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says that the primary difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is that successful people are willing to do what they don't want to do, while unsuccessful people are unwilling to do that. This is the way that we've said it, is that God-honoring people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And the goal of this series is for you to put some spiritual habits in your life, not so that you can improve yourself, but so that you can become more like Jesus. And today we're talking about the habits of reaching. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, that in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going to have a conversation with his disciples, and here's what you need to realize, that where he says what he says is as important as what he says, that the location where this takes place is significant. This is going to happen in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and you can see Caesarea Philippi is right here on the map. It's about a 25-mile hike from where Jesus' hometown was during his ministry. This is the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus' hometown is right up here. It's about a 25-mile hike here. It would take about a 12-hour journey. Now, Caesarea Philippi is not on the way to anything. So Jesus takes his disciples two days out of their way for this very conversation that we're going to look at today. And this is the most unlikely place for Jesus to take them. Because this is a place of darkness. It was a place of unspeakable hedonistic practices. And no good Jewish boy would ever go to Caesarea Philippi, much less a rabbi. Yet this is where Jesus takes his disciples. And I think they must have been a little freaked out. Because they had been told their whole life, you never go up to Caesarea Philippi. So they're saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus... We'll go because you're telling us to go with you and you're taking us there, but don't tell our mama that we went up here. This is the least likely place that Jesus would have this conversation. This very area was the center of pagan worship, and there was a pagan temple to a god called Pan. 
Pan was this mythical god that was half man and half goat. And niches were carved into the mountain where people would put their false gods up there. And the cave that you see is a place where people sacrificed their children to the gods. And it was called the Gates of Hades. We're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, there were all kinds of rumors about Jesus. There was all kinds of people who were talking about Jesus because people would come from miles and days away to come hear Jesus teach. People would come from all over to see him perform miracles to get healed by Jesus. And so there was all kinds of talk about who Jesus was. And so he asked this question, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now this seems odd that people would talk this way about Jesus. But here's what you need to realize. The Jews didn't believe in reincarnation, but they did believe that departed souls would empower living men to carry on their work. And these men right here, these are the heroes of the Old Testament. There was prophecies about these men right here. And so that's what people were saying. These are the rumors that people were making. Well, now comes the real question. Jesus does what Jesus does. And he gets real personal. He says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? This is the way of Jesus. Jesus says, I know what your friends think. I know how your family feels. I know what the crowds say. But I'm asking you, what do you think? What do you believe? What are your convictions? What have you decided? This is the way of Jesus, that you have to make a decision about him. See, I know this can be uncomfortable because we don't like to get very personal. We like to come to a church like this and be taught something that we've never heard before. You know, just give me a few things to improve myself. You know, help me laugh a little bit. Help me feel good about myself. Help it to feel warm and fuzzy. But don't get in my business. But Jesus will make you decide. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Peter is the guy in the disciples who said all kinds of dumb things at different times. I mean, he was always putting his foot into his mouth. It's actually at this location, a few verses later, that Jesus actually calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. But this right here is the greatest declaration of Peter's life. He says, you are the Messiah. could also be translated the Christ, that you are the anointed one that has been promised. And we're at this place with all of these fake gods, with all of these dead gods, but you're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not 
overcome it. Jesus is revealing himself through Peter's confession. And Jesus uses a play on words because, si- because Peter's real name is Simon. That was his given name. But Jesus gives him this new name, this nickname, Peter, and Peter means rock. So here's what Jesus is saying. He goes, you are rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. On this declaration you have just made, I will build my church. But Jesus is not doing this from the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't do this at the temple area where the Jews come to worship. He's not doing this at the Sea of Galilee where many of his miracles were performed. No, Jesus goes to a pagan temple that is dark and broken and shameful. A place that is filled with false gods. And he says, this is who I am and this is what I do. I took a picture of this place when I was in Israel this last March. I'm leading another trip to Israel this coming March. And it is this cave right here that is called the Gates of Hades. They called this the Gates of Hades. And it was called that because there was a bubbling spring that would come out of this cave. And in this spring, they believed that it went 800 feet down. And they believed that this spring was the gateway to the underworld where demons and devils would come and go. And right here is where they worship the god Pan. This is where we get our word panic. So there's this combination of fear and power and sex. This very place right here was a place of bestiality, prostitution, and infant sacrifice. That they would offer their sacrifices in this water, and if the sacrifices floated, they believed that the gods accepted it. If it washed them away, they believed that the gods didn't accept their sacrifices. It was a place of darkness and idolatry. And it's in this place that Jesus chooses to reveal himself and his mission. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church doesn't avoid gates of hell. The church storms gates of hell. Maybe you grew up with this idea that the gates of hell were always attacking us. And so you saw everything as a threat. It's like we just got to button down the hatches and make sure that the church doesn't go down. Because it's like the gates of hell are getting closer and closer, closer to our territory. But here's the thing about gates. Gates are defensive. Some of you live in a gated community, and the reason you do is to keep other people out. Not too long ago, I was trying to get into a neighborhood that was a gated community, and I didn't have the number, so I thought, I'm just going to follow the car ahead of me on in. Don't act like you don't do this. You do the same thing. But that car saw what I was doing, and so he stopped and let the gates close so I couldn't get in. If you're in here, shame on you. You should have let me in. See, gates are all about defense. The church is not on defense. The church is on offense. If the church is on defense, it's focused on stopping something. But if the church is on offense, it's focused on starting something. If the church is on defense, it's focused on prevention. But if the church is on offense, it's all about advancement. When the church is on defense, we're known for what we're against. 
But when the church is on offense, we're known for what we're for. Maybe you grew up in a church that was all about what you were against. I mean, you really didn't know what you believed about Jesus. You didn't know anything about the gospel, but you knew you weren't supposed to dance. You knew you weren't supposed to play cards. You knew that you were against rock and roll music, especially the kind that's played backwards. You know, because when you play another one bites the dust backwards, it sounds like start smoking marijuana, start smoking marijuana. It's like, we can't listen to that. you got to stop that. You knew everything that you were against, but you missed what you were for. See, defense is all about opposition. Offense is all about opportunity. And I believe we live in the greatest opportunity to reach people for Christ in the history of mankind. That this is a great time to be the church. That right now, this message is going to people all over the world. We have the opportunity to reach people around the globe with the message of Jesus. So let me just talk about two things, two opportunities that we have. The first is our opportunity as a church. See, here's what Jesus will say later on in Matthew chapter 28. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. This isn't about shrinking back and being on defense. This is about going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We're getting ready to, to celebrate our 19th anniversary as a church. Scott Whaley says that I look like I was 15 years old when we started the church. So I'm guessing that means I look about 34 right now. Okay, okay you could be kinder. You didn't have to laugh that hard. But since day one, our mission has been the same. Our mission here at the Crossing is helping people to discover Jesus in the journey. It's based off of this scripture right here, that you go and you make disciples telling them about Jesus because we just believe Jesus changes lives. But our vision for this church was never about this location. I said this from the very first time I recorded a video on this property. When we had this property, it was just desert everywhere that you could see back in 2003. And I was just putting together a video for, for us to have a vision for building some buildings that we could reach people. And what I said is not about the buildings because someday these buildings will all be imploded. We live in Vegas. They're all going to be gone someday. Someday they're going to build a Home Depot here and it'll all be gone. It was never about this location. It was always about reaching our valley with the hope of Jesus. And so a few years ago, we began to pray about expansion beyond this campus going to certain parts of our community where we could have a neighborhood reach and start some neighborhood churches. I want you to look at this map right here. That This right here is our three locations that we have, and each of these circles represents three and five miles around the location. And this is our windmill campus right here. This is where we're meeting at this moment. Well, two and a half years ago, we started our southeast campus over in the southeast part of the valley. And we are changing the name and the location of our southeast campus. Southeast campus is moving into a brand new $50 million middle school and high school called Sloan Canyon. It's on Volunteer Boulevard just right near the M Casino. And so our first Sunday at this new school is going to be September 22nd. And this new location, if you didn't figure it out, is going to be called the Crossing West Henderson because we believe that that reflects the neighborhood that we're going into better. 
And so maybe you have somebody who lives in West Henderson and in Sparata, in any of that area, some friends that you invite them, tell us about, tell them about us. Maybe some of you live there and you want to help be part of this core as we go into this new school to go there. We're excited about what God has done. Well, the next campus we have is the Crossing Midtown. And we're going to be starting the Crossing Midtown this fall. It was about a year or so ago that we began to pray about what was next. And we just felt like God was calling us. God was, was just kind of urging us to go to a part of the city that's been forgotten. A part of the city that everybody's wanted to get out of and thinking, how could we go and serve this part of the valley? And so let me just tell you a few God stories about what God has put together with this new place. Is we were looking for a location. And we found this, this old Trader Joe's, this building that used to be Trader Joe's at Sahara and Decatur. And we began to think, well, maybe this is the location we're supposed to go. So we had our elders go over there. We began to pray. We prayed just about God would open up the right doors. But it was going to cost several million dollars to build that out to make it work for a new campus for us. But beyond that, in the same parking lot is a bar and a nightclub. And so I just had these visions of our students leaving student ministry going from one building right into the other building. <laughs> going, man, I just don't think we want to be here. Well, so then we, we found an old Rite Aid building, an old building that used to be a Rite Aid at Valley View in Sahara just a mile down. And it was actually at that location that I recorded a video that we, saw, that we showed this last December when we were putting this vision before you. And so we showed this on the first week of December, and I had a guy who comes out to me in the lobby, and he says, I live right around the corner from there. He goes, across the street is Brightwood College. He said, on Thursday, they just filed for bankruptcy. Did you know that? I'm like, I did not know that. And so I asked Laz Abdo, one of our elders who's into commercial real estate, I said, won't you look into this, find out about it? Well, not only did Brightwood College go out of business, but it was Kaplan University that first built this out as a college campus just a few years ago. And they put $5 million into the remodel. They put $5 million to make it into classrooms to build all the bathrooms for this public building. And then they went bankrupt. So Brightwood College took it over. They went bankrupt. It's as if God was just saying, I've been waiting for you. I've been holding this just for you. Then beyond that, we put the vision before you, and you responded generously. And it was just confirmation that God was leading us there. And so we hope to start the crossing midtown in October. We're having trouble getting our construction permit from the city. So if you know anybody in the city or you are somebody in the city, then maybe you can help us out. But Nate Johnson, who hosted our services today, is the lead pastor there. We're excited about what God is going to do there. About three or four years ago, there was, there was a group of people from St. George who started driving here to come to church every Sunday. There wasn't a, wasn't a church that really was doing anything for, for, uh, for them, didn't really meet their needs, and so they started driving here just to make this part of their worship experience every single Sunday. Well, about that time, I talked about these microsites that we were launching. Microsites are a group of 10, 20, or 30 people who meet together and watch our services online. That's what our microsites are. And so they said, we would like to become a microsite. 
And so they became a microsite in St. George, running anywhere from 10 to 18 people on a given Sunday. But they have had a bigger vision for St. George. So on Easter, we rented out a movie theater for them, and they had 60 people come on Easter. We rented out the movie theater again for at the movies, and people came. And so on the ground, we have found a school for them to move into. And we've asked Dan Ward, who's on staff with us, to be the lead pastor over there and to help try to launch the crossing St. George and to see what God might do. Now, as I talk about this, some of you just feel an excitement. Just feel like, I want to be part of something like that. Here's what we need. We need a core group of people who will drive to St. George every Sunday and just be part of the group that just helps us launch this campus there, and maybe that's you. Maybe you have friends or family who live in St. George, and you can tell them about what God is doing there and how God can use us. And so we've just been asking God, what's next? What's next? And we look at this map, and we think, maybe what's next is the crossing Boulder City, or maybe it's the crossing Pahrump, or maybe it's the crossing Whitney Ranch, or maybe it's the crossing North. We don't know. But we know that we have a window of opportunity that God has opened for us to continue to reach our valley. See, it's our opportunity as a church, but here's the second opportunity. It's our opportunity as followers of Jesus. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, he was not saying, your church ought to go out and make disciples. We don't sit back and go, isn't it great what the crossing is doing? Isn't that great? Listen, we are the church. You are the church. It is our job to storm gates of hell. So how do we do this? Should we go onto the strip and carry signs that say turn or burn? (laughs) Everybody that walks by, we just say, you better repent or you're going to go to hell. Or at least Hades and my pastor showed me a picture of it. I don't quite understand, but that's where you're going. (laughs) No, do not do that. That does not work. We do what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. We love people right where they are, for who they are. And then when we have the opportunity, then when we have the opportunity, we share with them about how Jesus has changed our life. That's what we do. Think about about where your life would be if it wasn't for Jesus. Think about what your life would be like without Jesus. Jesus. I talk to people from time to time. They say, Shane, I would literally be dead if it wasn't for Jesus. I was talking to a buddy of mine a couple weeks ago, and with tears in his eyes, tears of gratitude, he was talking about just the grace and forgiveness that God has had on his life. But here's the danger for all of us. The longer that we are a Christian, the further away that we get from our past, the more likely we are to forget how lost we once were. Here's the deal for me. All of my family are Christians. I work with Christians, which probably ought to give you some comfort because I work here at the church. I work with Christians. I go to church with Christians. It would be easy for me to surround myself with only Christians. So I have to be intentional. When my kids were young, the parents of my kids' friends became my friends. But as my kids got older, I had to put myself in different environments. And I have a group of guys who have become friends, and I pray for them on a regular basis, and I hope that one day they will be surrendering their life to Jesus. 
Think about the person in your life who doesn't know Jesus. What would change in their life if they found Jesus? What would their dating life look like if they weren't going from bed to bed to bed to bed trying to find acceptance? What would their marriage look like if they loved each other like Christ has loved us? If they could learn to forgive, if they could break those strongholds, I just believe that Jesus changes lives. It's what I've dedicated my life to. Let me just give you a few cues on what to listen for in your own life. I just call this the three knots. And here's this first one. And when things are not going well, that when this comes up in a conversation, this is a cue for you. When they say, my health is not doing well, my marriage is struggling, my children are having problems, my business is not good, I'm just barely hanging on, this is a cue for you when things are not going well, that you invite them. You tell them about your story. Here's the second one, not prepared for. When someone's going through something in their life that they are not prepared for, you hear someone say, we just became first-time parents, and we don't feel prepared for this. I'm like, welcome to the club. (laughs) I remember bringing my son home for the first time, and I thought, we're going to break him. And if we don't break him, we're going to mess him up. He's going to be in counseling for the rest of his life. When you hear this, this is a, a cue for you to say, you need to come to my church. We have free child care at my church. You need to come. Or maybe you hear someone say, I just got married and I loved them with all my heart. I just didn't know how hard it would be. Just didn't know how hard it would be. When somebody is not prepared for that, it's your open opportunity. Here's this third one. It's not in church. They're not in church. You talk to someone who's new in the area. Maybe they've just moved to your neighborhood and they don't know anyone. This is your cue. Invite them to come to church with you. Invite them to your small group. These are the opportunities that you have to have an impact on their life. That's the story of Cameron. Cameron's life was not going well. And he began to reach out to Ryan, who goes to church here at the crossing, because there was something about Ryan's life that was different that he wanted. I'll let them tell you their story. My name's Cameron Hardy, and this is my story. I originally reached out to my buddy Ryan, who was a personal trainer, was physically fit, and I knew that I wanted to be physically fit as well as spiritually fit. Hey, my name's Ryan, and I'll never forget the day that Cameron first reached out to me. I remember sitting in that consultation and seeing someone who looked like they just had life hit them unexpectedly. I had a, a devastating day, and, uh, and Ryan, it, we were in the gym completely by ourselves, and Ryan asked, he's like, hey man, um, can I pray over you? And, um, and I said, yeah, yeah, man, please. And in the middle of a gym, it seemed like everything just stopped and froze in that moment. And God was in that moment. And God was using me in a season where I felt inadequate to speak, inadequate to lead, and even inadequate to share Jesus with others, to provide him with some hope for the very first time. And after that, Ryan asked me to go to church that weekend. And I, I said yes. I didn't have the courage to say no. And getting a chance to pray with him, I would have never saw what was going to happen next. Cameron started to come to church religiously every Sunday. 
And in fact, I invited him to come to our Bible study. And uh, Cameron had no understanding or experience with the Bible. And so I actually bought him his very first Bible. It's amazing because within a whole year, um, I've really kind of transformed my entire life. Going to church, Bible study, um, I ended up doing Rooted, which I strongly suggest doing to f figure out who Jesus is and, and why we need to follow him. But not only that, um, I chose a day um, to be baptized um, on my sister's passing um, nine years ago, October 26th. Ryan and Josiah, they actually baptized me in Ryan's pool that night. I wanted to redefine that day for myself and my family as it was such a tragic moment for all of us. This is my testament to, uh, to finally following Jesus and to make that day um, something special rather than something tragic. And so through all of these events, one of the things that really God revealed to me is that sometimes you'll be going through a storm a little bit before someone else just so that you can provide them the hope that you already have, which is hope in Jesus. And throughout all of this, I've watched Cameron's life unfold in just in a beautiful way. I could have never expected what God was gonna do. And so if you're considering whether or not to tell someone about Jesus for the very first time, you feel intimidated or you feel inadequate, I'll tell you right now, you'll never know what God could do on the other side of your yes. God wants to use you and God wants you to be the someone for the one. Wow. So let me just ask you this question. Who is your one? Who is your one? Who is the person in your life who is facing an eternity without Jesus? Who is it? Because God has placed you uniquely in their life for a purpose. So who is that one? Do you know their name? Can you bring their face to your mind? someone who God has placed you, what if you begin to pray for them every day? What if you begin to pray every single day that God would give you just an opportunity to share the hope that you have with them? What if you begin to pray every day for God to begin to do a work in their heart where they would be open to a relationship with Jesus? Because you have that one. You have them. So I was trying to think about how to help you do this, a tangible way to help you remember this. And so my challenge for you is to do something that I've been doing all week long, that I took the alarm on my phone and I set it for 101. And at 101, I pray for my one. And for me, it's 101 p.m. It might be 101 a.m. for you. But that's my challenge, is that you would take your phone, you would set up the alarm, to go off at 101 as a reminder for you to pray for your one. The one person that you want to see come to faith in Jesus. The one person that God has put you in their life. And maybe for some of you go, I, I don't have a one. I don't know who that would be. I want you to set your alarms as well. And when your alarm goes off at 101, I want you to begin to pray that God would bring the one into your life that God would bring somebody into your life who is far from Jesus and you would have the opportunity to impact them with the message and the hope of Jesus. I want to pray with you right now. But I wonder if there might be some of you who are the one. 
you are the one. That maybe you feel lost and disconnected from God and you're wondering, could God love somebody like you? Could God accept somebody like you? Jesus came to storm the gates of hell to rescue people like me and like you. See, this is why baptism is so powerful. Because baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it becomes our own death, burial, and resurrection. That we die to our old self. That when we're baptized, we're washing away all of our sins, all of our past, all of our mistakes. And when we come up out of the water, we come up to live this brand new life in Jesus. We come to be this brand new person in Christ. That's the hope that we have. You will never know what your life could have been until you give it to the one who's created it in the first place and loves you enough that he sent Jesus to rescue you, to bring you back, to redeem you. Let's just pray together. God, I pray that you would give us a very clear picture of who that one is in our life. The one person that you've uniquely placed in our life that we can love them right where they are and share the hope that we have, how Jesus has made a difference in our life. God, for those who maybe don't have a one, God, I pray that you would begin to bring somebody into their life that they can share the hope that they have for them. And God, I pray for those in this room who might be the one, that for whatever reason they've never surrendered their life to Jesus, but they're ready today, that today is their day to finally make Jesus their Lord and their Savior. God, meet them right where they are. So God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.